Hello and welcome to another College of Optometrists podcast with me, Martin Cordner, Head of Research here at the College. And Daniel Hardman McCartney, Clinical Advisor at the College. You sounded like you weren't entirely sure then, didn't you? Uh, That's fine. That's fine. I'm not sure myself sometimes. Uh, today, this time, uh, we chat to Patrick Gunn, otherwise known as Paddy, uh, but we think they're more or less the same person, uh, Principal Optometrist for Training and Education at the Manchester Royal Eye Hospital, and Honorary Lecturer in Optometry at the University of Manchester. We spoke to Patrick slash Paddy uh, about life in the hospital, training, research, referral services that he has been involved in evaluating, and in particular, false negatives, uh, which is what I would call my band if I had one. But I can't work out whether I'd call them the false negatives or just false negatives. Do you have a favourite? Which do you think stronger? I think the false negatives. I think like the strokes. Yeah. Or like the bees. A little bit, but this might be one of those situations, you know, like in the film The Social Network, where Justin Timberlake says to them, drop the, don't call it the Facebook, call it Facebook. It's like, brilliant! That's it! And, like, that's, you know, is that the thing that caused it to be a huge, huge, huge multi-billion dollar? I don't know. All I'm saying is, I need to think harder about it. I'll come back to you. I'll report back. So, glaucoma. Glaucoma. It's an area that interests me, and, you know, in practice, I sometimes hear ophthalmologists or GPs throw doubt on community optometry triage and shared care schemes, and, and it breaks my heart. So all optometrists, you know, know the value of the service, mm. but sometimes it's difficult to prove the value to other commissioners and uh, healthcare experts. Right. So Paddy's research is of particular relevance to really anyone interested in community schemes, and in particular glaucoma schemes. Having the evidence base about false negatives and also confirmation of decision-making, you know, proving that optometrists can make decisions as reliably and in agreement with our ophthalmologist colleagues, really useful. So um, anyone interested in community um, shared care schemes will no doubt find Paddy's research very interesting. Cool. So Patrick is often known as Paddy, uh, and Daniel, as a man with a long name, you must surely have had your fair share of abbreviations and nicknames. Dan, Danny. DHM. DHM, the Danster, that sort of thing. Doesn't yeah. I mean, you have, in print, been called Daniel Hardman McCartney before. That has happened. Am I, am I correct? That is, that is correct. That is correct. Now, did you decide to do that, or was it on was it, it, their part? It, it, it was, uh, that, was, that was due to a journalist of a national newspaper that will name nameless <laughs> mistyping my surname. So it wasn't that they confused you with famous police chief Daniel Hardman McCartney, who I'm convinced exists because it's just such a good name. Do you have any nicknames, Martin? Uh, not exactly. I mean, nothing at school. And then suddenly it sort of exploded a little bit at university. But it was like, you know, just other names. It was like Marlon, Martina, Manuel. They just kept coming. I don't know why. Ma- Manuel, please Manuel. elaborate. Well, it's a sort of Spanish alter ego, you know. Hey, Manuel. Head of research. Uh, yeah. I think I'll stick to this one. Uh, okay, so here's uh, Paddy chatting to me back in February at Optometry Tomorrow in Birmingham. So I'm here with Patrick. Hello, Patrick. Hi. Hi, thanks for joining us. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about how your career got to this point, the background to your career? Yeah, of course. So I, uh, I studied in, uh, up in Manchester at Manchester University and graduated in 2007. Um, and so back then, the University of Manchester used to have the Vision Centre, which was a clinic that ran uh, sort of all the way through the year there for patients. And so um, I was really lucky to get my pre-reg placement there. And as part of that pre-reg placement, I got a day a week um, release at the Royal Bolton Hospital. And that's when I started to get some experience of hospital 
hospital optometry. So what is it about hospital uh, placement and hospital optometry that you particularly like? What do you think that makes it stand out? From a hospital perspective, I think that if you've got something in particular that you're really, really interested in or passionate about, um, it means that you can kind of immerse yourself in that. So really from the outset, I, I always found that I was particularly interested in glaucoma. And so being able to um, sort of focus your attention towards getting really, really good at one particular area uh, has always been, uh, been great for me. Is there any particular reason why glaucoma? Can you remember sort of how that interest got started? I think that... Um, um, first of all, my granddad had glaucoma, um, and so um, from an early age, it was something that I was aware of. Um, and then when I was an undergraduate, I went and volunteered in Ghana. And one of the things that I found probably the most upsetting was when you'd see um, young patients, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, present with um, advanced end-stage glaucoma. Seeing that kind of irreversible blindness was really quite heartbreaking. Um, and that made me think, you know, this is something that... Um, that needs to change there's improvements that need to happen because this is uh, this is a condition where we can manage this and prevent that uh, avoidable sight loss and it was really from there that I thought well do you know what this is something that I really want to get involved in and within all that you still have the time to get involved in research in particular you're a part of the college's enhanced scheme evaluation project uh, looking at whether such schemes are safe and cost effective can you tell us firstly a bit about the Manchester Glaucoma Enhanced Referral Service. Yeah, of course. So um, the uh, the scheme was the first um, glaucoma referral refinement scheme to be set up in the uh, UK, um, and certainly that was a big step at um, looking at ways that hospital and community can work together to try and improve um, pathways for patients. I think at the time it was set with a group of around about 10 local optometrists that came in and spent an awful lot of their time um, in the evenings and uh, taking time out of clinic to come and learn more about glaucoma, come in and sit in on some of the sessions and then to start to be involved in operating a filtering scheme and so in the Manchester area patients suspected of glaucoma instead of being referred directly to the hospital, would then go and see a local accredited optometrist for further tests. And as a result of that, that would deflect an awful lot of patients away from the hospital who were found to, to not need further assessment. And for the patients that did need further assessment at the hospital, it was a really good opportunity for them um, to get that appointment very soon after their initial appointment to find out a little bit more about what glaucoma is, perhaps get some more reassurances. Obviously for patients, if they're labelled as a suspect for anything, there's obviously going to be some anxieties. And given the fact that glaucoma referrals are a routine referral, it could mean that patients were waiting for a couple of months before they'd get seen. So to be able to get that reassurance that even if they did have glaucoma, this is a chronic, slow-progressing condition, um, the prognosis is very, very good. That was a really, really important thing about, about the scheme. Around about three or four years ago, the, the scheme was relabeled as a glaucoma enhanced referral scheme, um, and that was really as a result of the College of Ophthalmologists' guidance on what a referral refinement scheme should be. Um, and for that, they suggested that all of the tests necessary to make a diagnosis of glaucoma um, should be included, including gonioscopy. Given the fact that we felt that for our referral filtering scheme, uh, that that wasn't a requirement, we relabeled it as a glaucoma enhanced referral scheme. Right, okay. So it's interesting there that, you know, what begins as a way to help alleviate pressures and 
um, if you'll uh, forgive the pun, uh, and deal with the uh, issues around uh, the NHS services can actually then become a way to actually give patients more information about this disease, spread awareness of it, uh, dampen anxiety that could grow, all that sort of thing. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's all about enhancing that pathway for patients and making sure that they have the best possible um, experience. And I think that... Um, it's quite easy to, to just think this as being a numbers game about deflecting patients away from the hospital, but it's really, really not. And when you look at the experiences that patients have in the um, glaucoma enhanced referral scheme, um, it's, a, it's a fantastic service and it's something that um, works very well, particularly when you've got that local aspect. You can go some and see somebody uh, close to home. I think a hospital environment can be really quite intimidating for patients. The eye hospitals are really big. Um, it's very busy. Parking's not great it's got all of those uh, all of these things that patients find challenging and whilst it's, a, it's an amazing building when you get there from a patient's perspective um, they'd far rather go to their local community optometrist um, particularly if that would mean mean that they didn't have to go to the hospital at all right so the research that you've been involved in uh, is involved both false positive and false negative evaluations why is it important to include both and how novel is the false negative part of the study so I think that the, the false negative aspect uh, was the, the key and the main aim of this, uh, this study. Uh, and this is really because of the fact that um, there's been a real lack of, uh, lack of research um, and evidence in this particular area. It's quite a difficult thing to be able to set up and uh, assess. And so um, we felt that it was something that was really, really important. I think the glaucoma referral filtering schemes have been getting set up widely across the UK and has, has been seen as a really positive step. And there's been quite a lot of um, data that's already been collected on false positive uh, rates throughout the UK in these schemes. But there's always been that kind of looming question, um, particularly from those that might be a little bit more critical of these schemes, is, well, actually, are they safe? Are there genuine cases of glaucoma that are being, uh, being missed? And I think that when you're running that kind of a service it's so important to you know know that those safety measures are in in place um, and so it was a study that we really really wanted to do as well as we could so is it so fair to say that false negative studies are harder to do because the people involved are not necessarily in the hospital system because they've been given this negative information so it's hard to get that's why there is more false positive data absolutely yes yeah. so I think up to now the majority of the studies that looked at false negatives um, in this type of scheme has been sort of retrospective um, type an analysis and so we wanted to do a prospective study um, we wanted the assessment of patients to be as close as possible to the type of assessment that you'd get as part of a nice um, reference standard uh, examination uh, to make this uh, this research project as robust as possible to be able to, to calculate as close to possible what your false negative rate would be. So it's always a trade-off uh, between sort of false positives and false negatives or sensitivity and specificity if we want to go all technical but presumably the aim was to make sure just that that balance is right just to make sure that you know you're catching the people that need to be caught and uh, any possible false negative is kept to an absolute minimum. Yeah absolutely and I think that um, certainly from a false positive perspective um, you're always going to have a false positive rate within a glaucoma f uh, filtering scheme and you're always going to want a false positive rate because actually um, it's quite a simplistic thing to suggest that your false positive rate is the patient's that are referred to the hospital that you discharged the first time. Realistically, that's simply not the case because actually some of those patients um, do require a 
that additional level of experience to be able to make that decision to say 100% that this isn't glaucoma. And so um, I think that it's, it's, it's as you'd expect that you're going to want a false positive rate within that scheme, but you just want it to be a low false positive uh, rate to make sure that the scheme is uh, effective as it can be. From a false negative um, perspective, again, you're going to expect to see some kind of a false negative rate within your scheme because of the fact that any kind of referral criteria is never going to be a perfect uh, situation. And also you get such varied measurements in glaucoma. So much is down to eye pressure that we know that you're going to get big fluctuations in those values. So you know that there's always going to be cases where patients may not meet a referral threshold on one day, but on another occasion they may. The real crucial thing and what we're, we were looking for from this scheme were, were the patients that should have been referred who weren't referred with genuine cases of glaucoma? And so were there cases of glaucoma being missed? And were there any other cases of other pathologies, um, neurological pathologies that were being missed as part of that assessment? And there weren't there weren't cases being no missed. there was absolutely no cases of um, patients that should have been referred who ended up having glaucoma which is exactly what we uh, we we were hoping for and certainly there was no case of any missed pathology as well result. and so it was a fantastic result um, and you know. Obviously, this is, a, this is a scheme that we're hugely passionate about. Um, the vast majority of the optometrists working in this scheme have been doing so for a number of years. And actually getting to see um, the type of patients that they were seeing and the difficult decisions that they were having to make by examining these 133 patients really made you realise what a high level these guys are operating uh, at. And, and so we know how fantastic the team goes optometrists are and um, we know how enthusiastic they are they're willing to come in and continue to develop themselves we really wanted it to be uh, to be a good result in it we couldn't have asked for any uh, any better yeah it's nice when it's confirmed isn't it absolutely absolutely <laughs> yeah it really it really is and it also enabled us to reflect on uh, on how the scheme is run and how it works um, there were some patients that did not meet the referral criteria that when we reviewed them at the hospital we did decide to monitor those patients um, and there were a few patients um, with ocular hypertension or narrow angles that were given um, prophylactic treatment now this is very small numbers um, so out of 133 patients there was five patients that didn't meet the referral criteria um, and then they did go on to subsequently undergo some treatment. Now, for three of those patients, it was because of the fact that um, their eye pressures were different on different occasions. And of course, um, there's a robust um, pathway for those patients anyway who don't get referred. Follow-ups are still recommended for them to continue to have their regular eye examinations. For the patients that had narrow angles who um, we underwent laser treatment as a result of this, we did make some small changes to the referral criteria, enabling optometrists working in the scheme to have a slightly lower threshold for uh, referring patients in for that. And so um, I think it's important um, to look at enhanced schemes, um, look to see where there's possibilities that um, there could be um, improvements to your pathway and, uh, and as I say, um, take that information on board and uh, be happy to continue to evolve and develop your services. So one of the things uh, that was also looked at was the cost effectiveness of uh, the scheme. Now obviously there's an awful lot of stuff that goes into an assessment like that, it's a whole discipline really, but can you just tell us a little bit about 
what we mean by cost effectiveness yeah so it's really important with um with any enhanced scheme um to be able to show that it's cost effective and so um it's important that we know that it's not going to cost any anything more um, to put in place these schemes, um, and if possible, if there's any reductions in costs, that's obviously comes to as a benefit to the NHS. I think that it's widely accepted that uh, the NHS is under huge financial pressures, and whatever we can do to try and make savings uh, is really, really important. And I think as optometrists, we're in a perfect place to be able to help support the NHS. Um, community optometry um, is a huge work force of highly skilled professionals that can definitely help support um, that and so a lot of work's been done to look at how cost effective the the, the GERS scheme has been and, and there's still quite a lot more health economics work to, to, to look into that. I think the sort of overall assessment is is that the GERS scheme is cost effective if you make the assumption that patients um, patients will generally be seen on average two times for follow-ups at the hospital eye service um, and so if you take that into consideration um, um, it, it shows that, that, that GERS can be cost effective. I think the other thing to remember is, and it's probably going back to some of the points that we made earlier on, it's not just about a numbers game, it's about patient experience and making sure that uh, patients are given the best possible pathway. And so not only does this mean that a lot of patients that don't require to go to the hospital end up not requiring that hospital appointment. It also means for patients that genuinely have glaucoma, it means that because of the fact that we're not having to review a lot of patients who don't have glaucoma, it means that we get quicker access to those patients that really, really need it. And that's really, really important. Now to be able to work out the sort of cost effectiveness of um, and the, the importance of ensuring that patients don't end up developing uh, visual disability as a result of uh, delays in follow-up is quite difficult to yeah, calculate. Sure. Um, and so this is why the main aim is to make sure, as I say, these, these schemes are at least cost neutral, um, mm. but, you know, providing a saving wherever they and can. And an example of where the resource can be used for the people who you know really need it. It doesn't necessarily save resource, but it's, the resource has gone to the right place. Absolutely. So the research also looked at decision making agreement uh, between professionals of, of different types. Can you tell us a bit about that part of the study, why it's important and what you found? Yeah, so this was this was, this was quite a small component of the uh, the study because we know that decision-making of optometrists compared to um, glaucoma specialist consultant has been widely studied before. This was studied uh, very early on in the Bristol Shared Care Scheme um, and also in the Manchester Olga Scheme a number of years ago. And certainly the results of that have been hugely positive and that's shown that you know with the right training experience accreditation and support from consultants optometrists can be um, uh, be very very effective at, at clinical decision making in glaucoma I think that we thought it was important to add an aspect of um, observation of the decision making um, into this particular study just because of the fact that we were comparing the decision making by community optometrists at GERS at the point of referral and then the reference standard examination at the hospital was also being performed by optometrists so there was three optometrists um, at the hospital who were, were, were examining the patients and so all of those optometrists had the College of Optometrists independent prescribing uh, diploma mm -hmm. the glaucoma diploma and each of them had considerable experience in, in glaucoma but what we wanted to do was just make sure that the decision making of those optometrists was comparable to a consultant ophthalmologist 
So what we did is we took 33 cases, so there was 30 cases of patients that um, were, were seen as part of the false negative study, so normally who wouldn't be referred, and then there was three cases randomised of patients who were referred through GERS for two of our uh, expert consultants to take a, a look at, and so they virtually reviewed the cases, so they had full access to the history and symptoms notes, to the gonioscopy, eye pressure measurements, all of those details, and then they were given given um, stereoscopic optic disc images, OCT images and visual fields and then they were asked to decide on whether they thought it was glaucoma, not glaucoma and whether they would refer that patient or not. So it was quite interesting actually because uh, the decision making of the optometrist and each individual consultant, um, the agreement was better there than it was between the two consultants themselves and so um, it was, it certainly showed that there was no uh, inferiority of optometrist decision making mm -hmm. um, which was really really uh, reassuring and encouraging. In fact, there was only two cases where the consultants disagreed with the optometrist and both of those consultants agreed together. Now, both of those cases were where they felt that the patient should be discharged, where the optometrist felt that further ongoing review in the hospital service uh, was required. And so actually, all that showed was a perhaps a slightly more cautious approach by um, optometrists compared to consultant ophthalmologists, which is what you'd probably uh, expect given the sort of wealth of experience of our glaucoma consultant specialist. So again, it just adds further supporting evidence just to show um, that the there is no inferiority of the decision making of those optometrists working um, at the hospital eye service when compared to consultant specialist colleagues. And it's crucial information really, isn't it? If you, you want to advocate for these schemes, talk about these schemes, this is the sort of thing that people could ask about, could... Could uh, raise abs abs absolutely. I think that um, I think that the eye hospital were very lucky because we've got a really supportive team of five uh, glaucoma um, specialist consultants, and I think that when you have those good working relationships with consultant colleagues, um, you get huge amounts of. Um, of support from them and they are very uh, they're very appreciative professionally of your, your skills whereas I think for other ophthalmologists working perhaps without that link with community optometrists could look at that paper and question well actually um, you know who's validating the decision making of the optometrists mm -hmm. working um, at the hospital and so it just was that additional bit of evidence to actually provide more support for, uh, for people reading that paper to get that bit of reassurance that, that we did look at that aspect. It's sounding like that's one particular element that makes a scheme successful. Are there other elements that you think you would pinpoint as being the key elements of a successful scheme such as this? The, the, the key element of this without any shadow of a doubt is the um, enthusiasm and passion of the community optometrists working within this scheme. Um, they're hugely dedicated. I think that Taking a patient who has been labelled as a glaucoma suspect by one of your, your other colleagues in the community and then having to make that really difficult decision to say, well, I don't think that this is glaucoma, I don't think that this needs referral, I think that that's a really uh, challenging thing to do. What we do know is that the guys working within the scheme find it hugely rewarding. A few years ago, um, um, there was a study that we did that looked at um, some of the different stakeholders involved in the GERS scheme, what their experiences were were and certainly I think that the majority of the optometrists there found it really rewarding to be able to really kind of develop their skills in a particular area and so I think that the support from those optometrists is crucial. I think that having strong leadership um, from 
ophthalmology again is really really important and having that willingness to be able to engage with community optometrists and so it's all about building local networks and local teams where um, community optometrists, hospital optometrists and ophthalmologists can come together to work together to try and improve their services locally. And working together breeds trust as well, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, we've now got such a good relationship with those community optometrists working in the scheme that I will regularly get emails from those optometrists with maybe a disc photograph or a visual field saying, what do I do about this patient? I'm a little bit unsure. Can you offer me any advice? And I think that um, being able to to, to know who your local uh, hospital team are and to be able to have that really open relationship just makes things so much better. It really helps develop your skills and knowledge. And of course, it's fantastic for the hospital because of the fact that it means that we really are only um, seeing patients that that, that really do need to be in our services. And so um, it means that we're getting access to the patients that we really, uh, really need. So how will the scheme success uh, affect your training and education role going forward what do you, do you think you've changed your approach to it in terms of your training or how you train uh, the people in the hospital I think that um, certainly uh, this scheme is something that we'd like to see continue to develop and continue to expand and so the GERS scheme currently only operates in central Manchester North Manchester and South Manchester and we still have a big intake of patients in the wider area that Um, are still being referred directly to the hospital and so we'd really like to see this um, expand wider around Greater Manchester and right throughout the UK when you go to glaucoma meetings um, you see an awful lot of um, ophthalmologists there talking about the struggles and the difficulties that they have managing um, their caseload, managing the number of referrals and so I think that what we'll continue to want to do is to to expand and develop these schemes around Greater Manchester but also to offer support to those in other areas who would like to set up these schemes but perhaps just don't know the best way to go about it and so I think that um, we'll continue to try and develop educational programmes to try and offer support there. One of the things that we started uh, last year is running the College of Optometrists Professional Certificate in Glaucoma. And again, I think that this is going to be a brilliant way to provide um, better access to professional qualifications so optometrists uh, get the recognition for the, the, you know, the, the fantastic skills that they have in terms of assessing patients with glaucoma. So you also do some research supported by the International Glaucoma Association. Uh, what in particular is that research looking at? So... This is taking a slightly uh, slightly different uh, tact and so this is really looking at patients' experiences when they get into the hospital. So over the course of the, um, the last few years there's been a significant rise in the number of glaucoma virtual clinics that are being delivered um, in hospitals, in, commu- in the community and these seems to be developing quite widely, not just in glaucoma but in other areas of ophthalmology as well. Um, certainly we set up a scheme at the eye hospital a number of years ago that certainly been running and is very effective in terms of helping us managing our uh, clinical workload. What we know very, very little about is what actually um, patients experience when they go to a glaucoma virtual clinic um, and also what experiences staff working within those clinics. So some of the technical team reviewing those, uh, gathering the data. 
um, some of the medical optometry nursing team reviewing those case notes uh, have and so this study is really looking at patients and clinicians experiences and trying to qualitatively evaluate what's actually happening glaucoma virtual clinics and this is really so that we can try and work out which patients may be suited for a virtual model which patients may not be suited for that particular type of model to try and provide lots of different flexible ways that we can deliver services for for patients but also um, uh, to make sure that everyone's getting the best possible care yeah perfecting that right patient right place right treatment Absolutely, and so I think that um, it's been um, it's been a really really interesting study up to now. We've still got quite a little. Uh, way to go here but you know before I started this study um, you know there were so many assumptions that I made about patients experiences so for example I presume that if you had a very early um, glaucoma or somebody quite new to the hospital they'd be very accepting of a virtual model whereas if you had a patient with more advanced glaucoma they really wouldn't like that and whilst that is the case in some patients for other patients um, they actually find that being able to be seen very quickly in a virtual model is really actually quite um, uh, quite good it means that they're not having to hang around and wait so often some patients find that long wait in the hospital uh, really quite uh, quite difficult they can become quite anxious and so being able to be seen quite quickly is is beneficial whereas for other patients who may be look on paper to be low risk actually um, because of the fact that they're quite new to the hospital um, they might have a lot more questions to ask that actually a virtual model isn't ideal and not having the opportunity to ask as many questions as they'd like um, has been difficult and so I really think that this study is going to be important to finding out those additional um, bits of information to actually how patients experience things to look to help to work out how we can develop services um, both within the eye hospital but again right around the UK so that different hospitals that are struggling with this decision of whether to develop virtual clinics and if they've got virtual clinics how to develop them in the future to try and make sure that patient care is right at the center of uh, of that great stuff so do you think the hospital environment lends itself to a certain type of uh, research uh, it's, is it a useful melting pot would you say for sort of different perspectives and approaches with different professionals around and seeing different patient mixes yeah I think that I think that research uh, within the hospital environment is so so important because of the fact um, that if you're going to continue to make sure that you develop the best possible care for your patients, you need that research to be uh, happening. And I think that when you do have um, sort of multidisciplinary teams, um, it works very, very well to have a really good view um, from every part of the patient pathway. Um, I think that there's very little services um, within the eye hospital, for example, uh, where there isn't more than one professional group involved. And so um, getting that court kind of all overview is really really um, important um, and I think when you've got such a strong link to your local university um, as well um, the University of Manchester is just down the road um, from the eye hospital and again there's just a huge wealth of experience in terms of research there and so um, I think that it's so important that we foster that collaboration between the university and the eye hospital to make sure that uh, that we develop the best possible research that we can in the north. Great.
I've just got one more question. How do you think conferences like Optometry Tomorrow help to translate research into clinical practice? I think that um, the range of different um, topics um, that are available at Optometry Tomorrow are fantastic. And one of the things that I've really noticed uh, this year is just how well the speakers manage to relate what research that they've done, how important that is in terms of day-to-day clinical practice um, in a way that's uh, really nice, easy to understand um, and really easy to relate to what you do day in, day out. And I think that being able to have that skill to be able to break down something that's really quite complex into something that people can understand first thing on a Monday morning is fantastic and I think that coming to a meeting like this and hearing that the research that goes on um, particularly some of the projects funded by the College of Optometrists really does open your eyes to opportunities within research I certainly never saw myself as having any kind of a career in research in the past I've always thought of myself as being quite a clinical person and it's really from coming to meetings like this that really started to make me think well actually um, this is something um, that uh, could be really really useful this is something that could be really really enjoyable and that there are um, organizations like the college that are there willing to help and support you if you've got an interest in research we're delighted to take the credit for that that's absolutely yeah. fine. <laughs> Patrick thank you very much for your time today no problems thanks very much for talking to me today So there it is. Thanks very much to Patrick slash Paddy for coming in to share his work with us. And may I just say what thoroughly nice chaps both Patrick and Paddy are. You can see much more on the college's Enhanced Scheme Evaluation Project on the college's website. It has literally so many published papers now, it's ridiculous. So next time I'll be talking all things myopia with a double whammy of professors in the shape of Chris Hammond, ophthalmologist at King's College London and St Thomas's Hospital. Do you like the way I've got ophthalmologist down now? Very good. Thank Very you. Uh, and Catherine Saunders, Professor of Optometry and Vision Science at Ulster University, whose dog I have met, but that didn't come up, funnily enough. If you'd like to tell us what you think of our new podcasts, then please drop us an email to podcasts at college-optometrist.org. You can also rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on Podcast Catcher, so feel free to go nuts with that. Thank you, Daniel. So for now, from the hard man and myself, we'll see you next time.